following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to an encore presentation of Pilgrim's Progress. We will not be taking calls today. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenleaf, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I've been talking with some people who listen to this broadcast on a regular basis, and they gave me some interesting feedback. They said one of the problems we have is that you explain very clearly the scriptures, and we're beginning to understand the concepts that you're teaching. But unfortunately, we don't know how to apply them. Several have said to me, I listen, but I don't know how to get a hold of it so that it fits my life. So I thought perhaps we should take some time today to talk in a very practical way about what it means to walk with Jesus and, and how we begin to do that. There's a story found in Scripture that I don't like because it's a painful story, but it's right on. And it's Jesus talking about how do you become my disciple? You see, the invitation is extended to you to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He invites you to come, deny yourself, and follow him. But you have to make some very specific decisions if you're going to follow Jesus. Remember, the scripture talks about a narrow gate. John Bunyan, in his wonderful book, Pilgrim's Progress, published in 1678, opens that understanding for us very clearly. That when you live in the city of destruction, you have to leave. You have to run. And you have to run to the narrow gate where there is light. In other words, you must leave the darkness behind and you must go through this narrow gate. And the scripture calls it a groaning gate. A groaning gate because you cannot take your wickedness and easily make it through that gate. The scripture also refers to it as a suffering gate. A suffering gate. Suffering because those wicked and dark things must be left behind and you must choose to enter into the light. That means very specific behavioral changes that must take place. We're going to identify some of those today. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask today that our hearts and minds would be open to understand the word, that your grace would be extended to us, your mercy and your love would be extended to us. I ask that you would cut through all of the powers of darkness 
and all of the deception of the devil, that you would cut through his lies and you would open for us that door of understanding that we could begin to get a hold of what it means to follow you. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. When I awaken in the morning and I open the scriptures to begin time with Jesus, I always pray first and I ask him, please, open my mind and my heart. Not just my mind, but my heart also. That I could respond to what I hear. That I could understand what I hear. This morning I've been praying for you. That you could understand and you could hear and that it would be plain to you today. That you would see a path forward in your life. That all confusion would be cast down, that you would be able to understand what Jesus is calling you to, that you would be able to recognize who Jesus is and what his invitation is for us. Now I'm being emailed and being told that my mic is not working. And I'm not sure why, but let's try a change and see if that works. I'm not able to get any sound, for some reason, on my mic today. I don't know what the issue is. Well, I think we're going to just be able to go on, and we're not going to be able to have sound today. I'll have to try to solve this technical problem at a later date. Go with me, please, to Matthew, the 19th chapter. Matthew, the 19th chapter. We find here a man, a young man, a wealthy man. He's come to Jesus and he asks him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, a man does not come and ask that question unless the Holy Spirit is beginning to stir your heart. Some of you today who are having a hard time understanding how to apply these messages, I rejoice because it tells me that the Holy Spirit is working in your mind and your heart, and you know there's something you're missing, and you don't know what to do about it. That's an answer to my prayer. I've been asking Jesus to stir your heart, to cause you to be inquiring and asking. And this man, a very religious man, he comes and he wants to know what must I do for eternal life? What must I do for eternal life? 
And so this, this man's question indicates that there is something going on in his inner heart. I pray today that there are questions in your heart. I want to tell you, there are questions in my heart. And last night I was seeking the Lord. I was crying out to him. I was saying, Lord, I just, I don't seem to understand how to go deeper with you. And so he gave me two dreams last night. In the first, he spoke very clearly. And he said, study the life of Jacob. And understand how he wrestled with me. I awakened and I said, Am I hearing you correctly, Lord? That there is a deeper experience only to be found in the prayer closet, and that you want me enter more deeply into prayer that there are issues you want to deal with in my heart and if I'm willing to spend that additional time you'll uncover those and you'll draw me closer I went back to sleep very quickly I had another dream A man came to me, and he said to me, You are to study very carefully the life of Joseph. And if you will study carefully his life, I will do for you all that I did for Joseph. Now, the Lord has made me many promises about a great harvest, a revival harvest. And I knew what he was saying to me. He was saying, I am reaffirming my promises to you that I will bring revival. So study Joseph's life to be encouraged, to be strengthened. Look at all that he endured and then look at what I did for him. That salvation was brought to his people. That God gave him the desires of his heart. He gave him a wife. He gave him the desires of his heart. I awakened and I again began to cry out to the Lord. And for the next hour, I prayed and thanked him for his encouragement to my heart. If you're truly inquiring about how you can enter into a deeper place with Jesus, the Lord will answer by scriptures. 
He will answer with another person coming and speaking to you, perhaps on this broadcast. He will give you a dream. He will speak to you. He responds to a man or woman who has a deep hunger for something more. And here this man comes, and he is hungry of heart. He is inquiring. He is saying, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? It was not enough for him, the religious life that he had. He knew he had to have another pathway to God that would lead him close, that would result in his being brought into the kingdom of Jesus or the kingdom of God. He'd been listening, I'm sure, to Jesus preach, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And he's saying to himself, I have, I have kept the law. So what do I have to repent of? I don't know what else to do. And some of you today, you give tithes and offerings, you attend church regularly, you read your Bible, you pray, and yet you're not satisfied in your spirit. You are indeed blessed of God. He likes his people to be hungry to press in and to say, there must be more. I must have more of Jesus. Jesus says to him, why are you asking me about what is good? In other words, what would prompt you to come to me? Jesus is appearing as a man and as a teacher and he wants to know from this man, what is it about my teaching that has caught your attention? What is it that you're interested in? And I would ask some of you that same question. What is it about Pilgrim's Progress that has drawn your heart? Because when you can answer that question, you've begun to answer the question about what your hunger is and what your need is. And if you follow that hunger, you follow that need, you'll find a clear path to the heart of Jesus. Why are you asking about this? In other words, what's triggering this in your heart? And he says, there's only one who is good, I think he's saying to this man, by coming and asking me this question, are you recognizing that I am the Messiah, that I am God? Now, for him to admit that Jesus was God would have been a stunning revelation. He says, if you want to enter life, Obey the commands or meet the conditions. And the man does not answer the question regarding who, who am I? He's not answering Jesus' question. There's only one who is good or 
Why are you coming to me with this question? Do you recognize I'm Messiah? He ducks that completely. This man is very oriented to performance. And he asks, Which commandments? Which ones should I keep? And so Jesus begins to enumerate the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, this man says, All these I've kept. What do I still lack? It's interesting. The Greek construction in verse 17, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. The sense of the Greek construction is, if you want to enter life, have real intensity in your heart. Don't have a perfunctory performance. Have an eagerness in your spirit. Have an intense willingness in your spirit, a, a hunger in your spirit. However, when the man answers, all of these I have kept, the construction in the Greek is simply, I have obeyed those. He doesn't indicate I have any intensity of feeling. I have no hunger about this. I have perfunctorily done what you have said. So we see immediately that there is, in this man's answer, a lack of earnestness. It is rather a ritual keeping of. Okay, this is what's expected of me. I'll do it. And now I want my reward. In other words, if I need to do these things to go to heaven, that's great. I've done them. It's covered. Now, tell me that I'm acceptable before God and I'm brought in. Well, Jesus doesn't answer that way. Verse 21. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect... And that word perfect is if you want to be complete. If you're truly hungry and you want to be complete in your walk with me, go sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Well, the young man hears this and he shakes his head. No. He walks away sad because he has great wealth. Well, it tells me several things. Jesus is telling this young man, if you really want to walk with me, if you really want to be perfect, and that is the requirement for entering into the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying to him, 
you have a problem with money. Go give your money away. Now, he did not tell Peter, go give your money away. He didn't, he didn't tell John, go give your money away. They had a fishing fleet for that, for that day in that city. They were wealthy. They were considered businessmen. They had a fleet that went out and caught the fish, and then they took them to the market and sold them. Peter had a wife. He had a home. He was a successful young businessman. Jesus did not say to Peter, go sell your fishing boats and sell your house, give away all of your money to the poor, and then come and follow me. He didn't say that to Peter. He didn't say that to John. He didn't say that to any of the other disciples. Why is he saying it to this rich young ruler? And by the way, did you note, Jesus said, come and follow me. In other words, he was choosing him to come and be a disciple. He received the same invitation that John received and that Peter received, but the qualification to come and follow Jesus was different than any of the other disciples. Why is that so? Because Jesus knew that this man, this rich young ruler, had rested his heart in his money. And when you choose to follow Jesus, your heart must rest in Jesus alone. So, if there is in your heart an interest, or if it is more intense than an interest, if there is an eagerness in your heart, to begin to apply the things that you hear on this broadcast. If you know something is not quite right in your relationship with Jesus, if your heart is still indifferent or cold, if your heart is lukewarm and you sense you're not on fire, it is probably because you have rested your heart in something or someone other than Jesus. And it's necessary now to begin to identify where is your heart resting. I have a, a wonderful friend who owns one of the finest restaurants in the Washington metropolitan area. I go to this restaurant for dinner three or four times a week. It's my home away from home. But as I was praying, my heart became troubled because I said, am I resting my heart in the wonderful friendship and food that I receive in this restaurant? Because I have been examining every part of my life to see if I'm resting in anything other than in Jesus because there is an eagerness and a hunger in my heart to know more of Jesus. And I wanted to know, are there any blocks that are standing in my way? If I came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what is it that I'm missing? Would he say to me, you're resting your heart in the wonderful food and fellowship you receive when you go to this restaurant? Now, 
I must tell you, I have been treated with the utmost kindness at this restaurant. The owner is a dear friend, and he and his wife have loved me and cared for me in such a magnificent way after my wife's death. And they said to me, your hardest job is going to be to cook and to eat. So please, Pastor, our restaurant is home for you, and we will not charge you a penny. We just want you to come and be family with us. And so now for the past four years, he has absolutely refused to allow me to pay one penny to come to this wonderful restaurant. Now, what I do is I look at the amount the bill would be, and then I figure out what I need to give the staff to say thank you for their service so that I'm not taking advantage of them. I've checked a number of times with this dear man and said, look, this is costing you a great deal of money to feed me. Could I begin to pay for my meals? And he has said, absolutely no. You're family. You're my brother. You cannot pay. We would not charge our family. And so I've said, all right. But then the question came, am I resting in this place? And so for a week, I did not go. And I spent that time in prayer and saying, Lord, have I rested in that wonderful food? Have I rested in that wonderful place of security? And so I prayed all week, asking the Lord about this issue. And finally, at the end of the week, the Holy Spirit prompted me, No, this is a gift that I have given you. Receive it graciously. Pray for the man. Pray for his wife. Pray for his children. Pray for his restaurant. It is a gift I am choosing to give you. I rejoiced in the Lord and I returned, knowing now that it is very clearly a place not for me to rest, but a place of ministry, a place the Lord has given me to nourish my body. I'm telling you this story to say that it is very necessary that we examine every area of our life. I have found that we as human beings quickly become dependent upon some aspect of our life to give us comfort. Some find their comfort in a, in a cup of coffee every morning. Some, some of you find your comfort in the way your hair is. Some of you ladies find it in getting your hair done and, and your nails and your pedicures. You have to have that done on a regular basis because it makes you feel good. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying, have you found that to be a place of rest that competes with Jesus? 
Some of you find your rest in food. Some of you find your rest in a pool table, or a bottle of beer, or drugs, or illicit sex, or pornography, or... It could be anything good or bad. Remember, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Some of you find your rest in, in hiking, in kayaking, in skiing. Some of you find your rest in the Redskins or some other professional ball, a ball organization, a, a baseball. or a... Some of you find your rest in, in certain sports. Now, I'm not saying that all of this is evil, although some things are very evil, like most movies are utterly wicked, filled with violence, uncleanness. Much of the Internet is filled with violence and uncleanness. Much of, of the television is filled with violence and uncleanness. Many of your iPhones or Androids are filled with darkness and wickedness. But there are many good things as well. What this man is being told is that you have found your rest in your money. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. It's not a problem with money. So the question is, where do you find your rest? Where do you find your place of security? Now, let me be even more bold. Some of you find your rest in your husband, or in your wife, or in your children, or in your job, or in your car, or in your house, or in your clothes. If you check your your credit card, or your debit card, or your checkbook, and you see the pattern of your spending, you'll quickly identify where you find your place of rest because you will spend the most money in the place you find your place of rest. So the question comes, are you resting in Jesus Christ, or are you resting in someone or something else. This young man, when he hears this, goes away sad because he has great wealth. It's not the wealth that's the problem. It's resting in that wealth. Well, I need men and women who are willing and eager to help cover the cost of the radio broadcast as the Holy Spirit moves in your heart. It's not the money that's bad or wrong. It's the use you make of it if you make it a place of abiding. Remember John, the 15th chapter, the command is to abide, to abide in Jesus Christ, to remain in Jesus Christ. Or if you look over here in 1 John, let me read this passage of Scripture to you. It's 1 John, the second chapter, verse 15. 
do not agape the world. In other words, don't sacrifice yourself to abide in the world or anything in the world. Don't sacrifice your life to abide in anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, if anyone agapes, that is, sacrifices themselves for the world, the agape of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man and the craving of sinful man is literally what you choose as your indulgence, what you choose to pamper yourself with, what your sinful nature desires. It is the physical realm. It is sexual uncleanness. It is love of the excitement. It's the love of that lounge or that bar with the music and the dirty dancing. One man who has just recently became, become a Christian was a Hindu man. He is converted. He is totally changed. He has become a, a dear follower of Jesus Christ. And he's had to cut off the lounge and the bar. And he said, Pastor, I have to tell you honestly, when I go to the bar, when I go to the lounge, and I hear the music, and I see the dancing, and I dance with girls, he's a single young man, he said, it excites my flesh. He said, I, I have to tell you, there's a great love in my heart for it, and I've had to cut it off because I can't follow Jesus and follow the way of the world. And so now he's praying and asking Jesus to take away his love. He's cast it off. He's not going to go there. He's not going to allow the devil to trick him into going to the, to the lounge and the dirty dancing and the sleaze. See, sleaze is very attractive to the flesh. The scripture says, 1 John two sixteen. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, that is the pleasure of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. This is the, the stuff that my eyes and my mind desire, like the movies and the television. This is the, the mental satisfaction. the lust of his eyes, what he wants to possess, that exciting new car, that exciting new house, those, those things, perhaps it's buying all of the colors for your nails, ladies. The lust of your eyes, you, you just want to spend. I was, I was standing in a grocery store and a man was there, he'd bought just two bottles of of wine. He was behind me, and as he stood there, he began to pull things off the shelf. You know, those items right beside you, the gum and the candy and the... And I looked at him, and he said, you know what? I don't need any of this stuff. I just like to buy stuff. It makes me feel good. It's the lust of his eyes. And then it says, and 
and the boasting of what he has and does are part of the excitement in what we have and what we do is being able to tell others about how wonderful we are and how important we are and how accomplished we are. Jesus is saying this doesn't come from the Father but from the world. Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The line is very clearly drawn here. This man found his rest in his money. And Jesus is saying, you have to withdraw your love for money if you are going to be complete in me because it competes with me and I will not have any competition for my love. Now there's another passage of scripture. It's found in Hebrews in the fourth chapter now, let me try to lay the foundation so that you'll understand. This man has answered, I have kept all of these commands. From my youth up, I've kept them. But Jesus is saying now, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. See, we don't, we don't lose anything that is good or righteous. But it can't be where our heart finds its rest. Our heart must, must find its rest in Jesus. So we find over here in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands that's entering the rest of jesus and literally it's it's his bedroom it's a place of repose it's a place of intimacy if you want to enter into that place of rest if you want to enter into that into that place of intimacy with jesus it still remains for you but he says, let's be careful that none of you are found to have fallen short of it. Well, the only way you can fall short of entering into the rest of God is to go rest in other places and with other things and with other people. Jesus is saying, you can't enter into my rest if you're already in somebody else's bedroom. You can't two-time Jesus. Verse 2, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, that is, in the Old Testament. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter the rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. 
That is, they shall never be intimate with me. They shall never enter my bedroom. You recognize that the scripture speaks about knowing God. And that word to know in the Greek literally means to have intimate relations with as between a husband and a wife. In other words, there is a place of such intimacy with God, such oneness with God through Jesus Christ. There is a place of no condemnation, no judgment. There is a place of peace and joy. There is a place where I walk with Jesus in fellowship and communion with Jesus. I desire to enter more and more deeply into that place of rest with Jesus. And therefore, I must look carefully at what I am resting in, if anything, in this world. Because Jesus will not harbor competition for his rest. He will not let me two-time him. He wants the entirety of my heart and my life to be committed to him. Now, some of you are struggling with how do I apply what Pastor Ray teaches on Pilgrim's Progress. Well, it's very simple. You must withdraw your entire rest from every other person and every other thing. And that rest must be found only in Jesus Christ. This is why I often tell couples when I do marriage counseling, Jesus must stand between the two of you. Jesus must have your first love. You must not fight with one another. You must deal with Jesus. So if your husband is not acting in a way that satisfies your heart, wife, or husband, if your wife is not all that you want her to be, don't fight with her about it. Go to the one who stands between you and talk with him about it and ask him to speak to her heart or ask him to speak to his heart. Ask him to satisfy the cry of your spirit. And he will. I remember when I first married Jan, there were things about her that I was extremely concerned about. There were patterns in behavior that I thought extremely destructive. I never once confronted her with what I saw that was of darkness. For example, the first thing we did, she did after we were married, is she went to a store and brought a lot of liquor home. Absolute vodka and other kinds of hard liquors. And I did not forbid her to bring it into the house. Instead, we set aside a, a cabinet, and she filled it. And on occasion, she would use it. She would have an evening drink. Was there anything wrong with drinking a little bit of alcohol? Well, the opinion is very divided in the Christian church on that. 
but about two years later, after I had dealt extensively with the Lord on this issue, I came home and Jan said to me, Ray, I made a decision today. I don't need this alcohol. I'm resting in Jesus. Would you help me dump it out? And we stood there and dumped bottle after bottle of vodka and sherry, all kinds of drinks. We dumped it in the sink, laughing, and then carried the bottles out and put them in the trash. And she laughingly said, if, if the garbage man looks in this bag, he's going to say we're alcoholics. But we're not alcoholics. We follow Jesus. She didn't need the alcohol anymore. She was resting in Jesus. Some of you who listen to this broadcast know that alcohol is a problem in your life. And you keep procrastinating and putting up with it. You rest in it. When your heart is troubled, when you're upset, when you come home from work and you want to kick back, you want that alcohol and you go to bed drunk. You wake up the next morning and you have a hangover. So instead of resting in Jesus, you rested in your alcohol. And then you wonder why you have no victory with Jesus. If Jesus were speaking to you, he would say, go dump your alcohol and then come and follow me. Come and be my disciple. But you can't come and follow me as long as you're resting in that alcohol or in those drugs, or in that unclean dress. I often see unbelievers come to the National Prayer Chapel dressed in a completely inappropriate way, in a sexually explicit way. I don't say anything, not directly to them. I set a very clear standard. It's expected that when women come to the National Prayer Chapel, they will dress in a modest manner, and that men likewise will come dressed in a modest and Christian manner. But I don't put it in people's faces. Instead, I pray, and I preach with compassion. And I invite people to rest in Jesus. He's saying here the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. You cannot come to Jesus without faith, believing that he is and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Jesus declares that if you don't give up those things that you're resting in, you'll never enter into the rest of Jesus. Now it says, And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all of his work. Again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. Verse 6, it still remains that some will enter the rest. 
and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God sent therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath bedroom for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter the rest, so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, Jesus is saying, please come to me. Leave those places of rest that are false rest. Examine carefully your life and see if you're finding your, your rest in your entertainment. See if you're finding your rest in the things of this world, the things of the flesh. See if you're finding rest in your in your sin. See if you're finding rest in good things that are not sin until you make them an idol. Now, what's so exciting to me is in this passage of Scripture in Matthew 19. He says, Which ones? What commandments? Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I've kept, the young man said. What shall I lack, or what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Well, where is he going? He's going to the Sabbath. The fourth commandment is literally not a day. It's a person. It's Jesus. Jesus is the Sabbath rest. When you enter into Jesus Christ, you enter into the fourth commandment. So he's giving these commandments, and the man is saying, I've kept all of those, but Jesus said, you haven't kept the fourth. Come and enter into my rest. Come and recognize 
that I have a place of intimacy for you. Now, many of you, as you walk, feel a sense of judgment. You feel a sense of guilt. You have condemnation. You wake up with a guilty conscience. You're struggling. You're trying to be good as hard as you can. You know what? The Christian faith is not a try-hard faith. Overcoming sin is not overcome by perfunctorily doing your duty. Sin is overcome by entering, entering into Jesus Christ. Withdrawing your support from your sin. Today I invite you to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. Well, we're almost out of time. We're coming close to the end of the month. And we are a long ways yet from being able to cover the cost of this radio broadcast. So I ask, please, I'd rather not do a, an offering day. I'd like to ask you to please be very bold and quick in sending tithes and offerings to help cost, cover the cost of this radio. You can send your gift to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. Two two, one nine five. You've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley with Pilgrim's Progress. Thank you for being a part of this broadcast today. I pray you enter into the rest of God. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Joy.